Amen. Thank you, Amanda O'Banion. She sang that just like that at 8.30. I didn't hit that high note at 8.30, but I'm sure I just got it sitting right there with her. Amanda, thank you. Hey, if you're happy to be here this morning, I want you to grab a Bible. If you brought your own, if you need one, there's a red one in front of you. Grab it, and I want you to hold it up. Amen. Let's don't ever take the Word of God for granted. Amen that we have the privilege to have a copy of it this morning. And I want you to join me in Matthew chapter 27 and 28. This message is going to be very difficult for Tanya to keep track of where I'm at in Scripture because I'm going to bounce back a little bit uh, to and from. So uh, just make sure you have a copy of God's Word open this morning. The title of the message is God's Love Never Hides. There's a story about a preacher, like many do, who went home after church on Sunday and looked at the visit cards from church and noticed there was a family that came, filled one out, so he uh, made the call. And to his astonishment, uh, a voice on the other end was very faint, and it was a boy who said, hello. Pastor said, who is this? He goes, it's Jimmy. He said, okay, Jimmy. How old are you? He goes, four. He goes, Jimmy, can I talk to your mommy? He replied, she's busy. Well, can I talk to your daddy? He's busy. Well, Jimmy, are there any other adults there? And he said, yes. Well, who is it? A relative? And Jimmy said, a police officer. Well, can I talk to the police officer? He said, he's busy. Well, Jimmy, who else is there? He said, a firefighter. Or wait a minute, a firefighter. Well, can I talk to him? Jimmy said, he's busy. The pastor said, my goodness, Jimmy, what's making them and keeping them so busy? He said, Now, brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully. The love of God does not hide. The love of God is accessible because of his love for us. You might be here today and say, Brother Greg, if we could line up dysfunctional families, I think we would start the parade. Well, don't feel like you're all alone. Amen, church? Don't feel like you've got the market on dysfunction. Everybody in here is a little bit dysfunctional at times. But make sure you understand this. There is a God who loves you and knows that you and I do not have it all together. And he makes his love available for us and gives us a clear way to understand how much he loves us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. And I pray this morning as we open it that your Holy Spirit would speak and move in power once again. God, it is a blessing to preach on Easter Sunday, but I'm telling you, it's a privilege to open our mouth and utter a word for your grace and mercy every day of our lives. And I pray for every Bible-preaching church right now, every pastor, every evangelist, every missionary who's opening the word of God and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that today all across this world people would be saved. And Lord, I pray today when we leave this place 
that there would not be anybody in this room that would say, I just don't know Christ. Because God, I'm going to introduce you once again today, and your Holy Spirit will do your job. We know that. So have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's love never hides. We're going to begin in chapter 27, and I'll begin with, with, verse, with verse 27, 27, 27, and we'll make our way into Matthew 28, all right? Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the government, of the governor, took Jesus into the praetorium, or the governor's mansion house, and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him, who? Jesus. Put a scarlet robe on him. And when he had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. A reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat, they spit on Jesus. They took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Physically, Jesus was beaten so bad that he could not carry the cross. You say, well, Brother Greg, wait a minute. Isn't this God in the flesh? It absolutely is. But make sure you understand something. God did not supernaturally dismiss the pain of Calvary. You know, some of you are here today, and you're Simon the Cyrene. And God has asked you to just simply carry your cross. He's not asking you to carry the one that went to Calvary. He's asking you to faithfully make a decision to be a follower of Christ every single day. When you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. When the doctor's report comes back benign, praise the Lord. When something questionable comes back, he wants us to still continue to praise him because he is worthy. Verse 33, and when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to play, to say the place of the skull, Calvary as we know, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. And they divided the garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, the Bible says. Sitting down, verse 36, they kept watch over him there. I want you to circle verse 36. They kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. In essence, they're saying, if you claim to be a king, this is what will happen. This is what we'll do to you. This is exactly what we'll do to you. We'll strip you. We'll mock you. We'll beat you. This is the king of the Jews. Now, this morning... We sit here on Easter Sunday praising him for who he is, for what he's done, but we need to understand something. Before there's ever an Easter resurrection, there is the painful reality of Calvary. 
the cross that Jesus took for you and me. Verse 38 says, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself, and if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. And if he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Folks, listen to me this morning. God does not have to do anything to prove who he is. You know how it is growing up, especially in your junior high years. Do we have any middle schoolers in here? Raise your hand. Junior high, raise your hand. Let me see them. Okay, this is not an uncommon phrase in junior high. You ready? Prove it. You're not so tough. Prove it. Uh, I, I once said that to my sister Sheila, and she hit me in the back of the leg with a wiffle ball bat. Folks, listen to me. God does not have to prove himself. He created you for a purpose, and that purpose is to have a relationship with him. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But because of sin, that relationship was severed, and the Bible says in Romans 5.12 that all of our relationships are severed and we're separated from God because of sin. But the good news is God makes a way. And it's a way that we can understand because God's love doesn't hide. Now, there's something else about Matthew's account that sometimes I think I miss. You ready? Verse 44, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. You say, Brother Greg, we know that. No, we talk about the one who rejects him most of the time. We talk about the other who says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. At this point in Matthew's uh, recording, in Matthew's history of what takes place, he's saying that both of them are reviling Jesus from the cross. So obviously something happens in the heart of one of them, amen? And maybe it's what he hears Jesus say from the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. They do. Maybe it's, it's the fact that, that he sees uh, Jesus' tender love of his mother from the cross. Uh, hearing Jesus cry out that he's forsaken by the Father. And, and, and he begins to maybe ask the question that some of you have asked or maybe you're asking, what if this Jesus is who he says he is? And what if this gospel really is true? The Bible says in verse 34, they brought him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. That is just a picture of prophecy that takes place. The Bible says several times that he's mocked. They come and offer him sour wine in Luke's account, 20, chapter 23. In John's account, John 19, 28, the Bible says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be filled, said, I thirst. The love of God never hides. Now, listen to me carefully this morning. We know John 3, 16, do we not? Can you quote it with me? Let's do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Do you know the Bible says in John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, God is not a God who sits on a cloud and wants to drill you every time you do something wrong. God is not a God who sits way out there and wants us to somehow figure out our way to get to a God who's way out there. He comes to us. And the cross bridges the gap so that we can come to Jesus by faith. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, here's what you're saying. I've placed my faith in Jesus and the cross of Calvary for my redemption. Amen? I love that. I love that. God's love never hides. Now, Christmas is God coming into our world in the flesh. Our Savior is born. Easter is about that gift confirming and validating why the Savior came. And brothers and sisters, Jesus came to save you and to save me. God's plan for my life and your life isn't something that's coded or impossible to find. The cross is crystal clear. And when you think about who went to the cross for you, it's the sinless Lamb of God who was stripped, mocked, spit on, humiliated, hurt with a crown of thorns. Imagine that. You say, really, Greg, I can't imagine. Not too long ago, our oldest grandson fell into a rose bush. You understand how bad that would hurt. But a crown of thorns twisted on the head of Jesus Christ, only to be mocked. That Christ dying on the cross so that we could be forgiven and we could be saved. I'm going to give you four simple points to take home this Easter. Here's the first one. God's love, the cross, is visible. The cross was visible. It was a visible sign to a watching world that had a hard time accepting it. Now, I have glasses on and some of you have glasses. Isn't it interesting how nervous you get when you take an eye test? I mean, they, they put that thing on me and say, push your head against it. And all of a sudden, even that big bottom line or big top line, whatever it is, looks blurry. And they'll say, better or, help me out here, better or better or worse. And, and they start flipping those lenses, and before long, you start to see a little clearer. And it makes a little sense. And, and, and what used to be foggy and what used to be out of focus all of a sudden seems more of a clear picture. Well, I'm telling you, the love of God does not hide. And it may take some a little longer than others to understand it. For instance, if you were to say, can a seven-year-old trust Christ as their Lord and Savior? I would say some can, absolutely yes. But not every seven-year-old may be ready at that point. Uh, some of you gave your life to Christ when you were a little older. You were taking a good look, and then all of a sudden, God brought into focus some things that you were wrestling with, and you accepted that by faith. The cross was visible. One of my favorite Southern Gospel trios is called Greater Vision. They sing a song that says, To me it meant nothing, just a gathering of Jews on a hillside. A typical day on Golgotha where many had died. Three crosses, three criminals, three outcasts brought no shame to mind until I discovered that the cross in the middle was mine. They go on to say, when I see the cross, now I see heaven reaching down. I'm telling you this morning, the cross was visible for the whole world to see, and it's in God's word 
for you and I to understand how much he loves you. You'll say, really, Greg? Give me something else. Okay, I get it. The cross was God's visible reminder of his love for us. Do you know that those who watched Jesus die saw the pain as well? Like that Roman centurion who saw him, who said this must truly be the son of God. He had witnessed everything that was taking place. It's also interesting uh, when you look at... um, Let me find it. After they had mocked in 27, 30, 31, they take him all the way to Calvary. Verse 36 says, they sat down and they kept watch over him. Circle that. They kept watch over him. Why in the world would I need to be looking, looking at and watching a crucified victim who we've seen this happen time and time again, why would I need to continue to watch and be concerned about that? Because they, many of them knew that this was no ordinary crucifixion. This was somebody who claimed that he would raise again. This is one who had told his disciples, listen, you're going to see me on a cross, but make sure you understand something. I'll meet you in Galilee. I'll meet you in Galilee. Jesus gives us a sign for us to understand. Now, something happened when Jesus died on Calvary. Look at verse 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The veil between the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies. The Bible says a split from top to bottom recognizing that God is initiating what's happening. What, what are you doing? God, God is now opening the door, making a way for sinful man to have a relationship with a holy God. You don't need a priest. You don't need to go through someone else. You can go through Jesus and be saved. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel. Now, if the gospel is now accessible, why would that be a problem? Because there were still enemies that did not understand what was happening. They thought they had gotten rid of the problem. Have you ever uh, fixed something at home only to realize you didn't fix it? Uh, Our trustees know all about that here. We walked in, or uh, Jay got here the other morning and said, well, you got a a water fountain upstairs that's blowing a gasket. And and, and, and now, uh, this far into this building, things like that happen all the time. But have you ever fixed something thinking thinking it was fixed? I remember I got a call back when Renee's mom was alive and, and there wasn't a, a son around. And I said, well, I can, I can help with that. I can fix that plumbing problem around that commode. And, and went to the hardware store and got, you know, I, I really got like that, oh, this looks like it's easy to connect. And I got down there and fixed it, turned the water off, fixed it, shouted out to him, I think I've got it. I'm going to give it a try. And when I turned that water on, that pressure, that hose just came in, like hit me right in the face. Listen to me. The veil was torn to do something for you and I we cannot do ourselves. That's what Christianity is. Religion is me doing. Christianity is 
God did it. There's a big difference. Now listen to me. I heard this this week. I want everybody to make sure you understand this. If I were to ask you how you know you're going to heaven, and the first thing out of your mouth is I, I did this, I did that. I was at that place. Folks, I'm telling you, the first thing out of our mouths when it comes to salvation should be Jesus. He. Jesus did. Jesus died so that I could be saved. And listen, it's something for the whole world to see. It's visible. But yet there were some that still didn't get it. For some of you today, you might view Jesus as a problem that you, you fix from time to time and, and makes your conscience feel good from time to time. Or maybe going to church makes us feel good. Listen to me, folks. Believers should go to church. Believers should go to church. Uh, do you remember what uh, Jesus asked Peter when there was a lot of doubt and confusion? He says, Peter, do you want to go too? Do you want to leave too? And do you remember Peter's response? Lord, where would we go? This week, the owner of the Reds is taking some heat for the decisions they're making as management, administration for, uh, for the Reds, and the fans are in an uproar. And he just stood up in front of them and said, well, where are you going to go? We're your only team. I'm thinking, I'm not exactly thinking that's what the Lord meant or Peter meant in that conversation. You probably just alienated a bunch of fans. But I'm telling you, the good news today is the Holy of Holies is torn. There's access to God. The cross is bridged the gap. And what he wants out of you and me is surrender. Maybe you're here today and you're saying this, quit preaching to me. Maybe you're here with your spouse. Quit preaching to me. Quit talking to me about Jesus. Quit pressuring me about Jesus. God shouts, I love you from the cross of Calvary, and that message will not stop. You can mock him. You can make fun of him. You can belittle him. You can curse him, but it will not keep him from loving you, and it did not keep him from dying on Calvary. You say, well, Brother Greg, I'm just not going to do anything. That's exactly what Pilate did, nothing. And to do nothing is to reject Christ. You see, what we're saying this morning is his life for mine. Amen? His life for mine. I'm telling you, folks, the cross is visible, but there's something else that takes place in the Easter story. The tomb is vacant. It becomes vacant. What are you saying, Brother Greg? I'm telling you that Jesus knew all along. Joseph of Arimathea, you may let me use a temporary tomb for a while, but after three days, it's going to become yours. You're going to have to figure out what to do with it because it will be vacant. Now, I believe Joseph of Arimathea and the Gospels say Nicodemus. I, I believe they were thoughtful in what they wanted to do. They wanted to take care of the Savior, but it would be temporary and the Bible tells us that that tomb would be sealed. You know why? You know that same group that was watching as Jesus died on the cross? They're still wondering if this is going to be true or not. Or maybe there is a shred of truth in the claims of this supposed Messiah. The tomb became vacant. Chapter 28, verse 1. Well, let's just start at 62 and 27 and read right into 28. 
On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that he, this deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Why in the world would you need to seal the tomb of a dead man? Because I'm telling you, even though the Bible may not record their names, there were some in that crowd that day that were wondering, what if this were true? What is if this were true? Verse 1. Chapter 28, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now keep in mind, the tomb was put in place by men. The stone was rolled away by heaven. And I'm telling you, you might be here today and you're thinking, Man, I've just got some things in my life that I just can't give up. There's some things in my life that I just can't quit. Listen to me. Quit trying to do it yourself. And just let the Lord have it. I used to work with a guy that was one of my best friends. His name was Mark. And we played ball together all the time. And, and he would let me share the gospel with him. And he was very open to it. But he, he said things like this. Greg, you know that, that I like to drink, and I'm just not going to give it up. And I said, okay, I respect your honesty. How about let's pray that God helps you with that? See, what he was wanting to do was clean up or change his life before he gave his life to Christ. Folks, you can't do that. You can't take a bath. You can't take a bath and then say, now I'm finally clean. Look at me. Now I'm finally clean. Now I'm good enough to be saved. Nobody is ever good enough to be saved. That's why Jesus died. Uh, he gave his life to Christ eventually. And guess what? That's when the work began in his life. You see, God wants to work from the inside out. A lot of times religion says outside in. He changes us on the inside. So you might be here today and you say, well, that's not anything I deal with. Well, maybe you're here and you cuss all the time. That's an inside-out job. Ask the Lord to change your heart. The Bible says what comes out of our mouth really is an indicator of our heart. You're saying, well, Brother Greg, I don't have a problem with that. Well, maybe you talk about people like a dog. Or, or maybe you're the best Facebook. Maybe you've got more followers than anybody in Baptist history. Who cares? I'm not interested in the fact you went to the grocery store this afternoon. Okay? Listen, folks, make sure we understand something. Jesus changes people from the inside out, and I have to believe there were some in the crowd. Well, we know that the Roman centurion was there. He recognized it. But I believe there were some religious people there, too, that were starting to get it. So let's seal this tomb. Even though we don't believe this, what a farce. This is, let's make sure this thing's sealed just in case. 
Because, you know, his crazy followers, if they come and bust him out, it's going to be worse now than it was before. So no one's getting in or out. And the Bible says when the angel appeared, when, when, listen, when heaven appeared, when God spoke, those guards fell as dead men. They might as well have put a welcome sign to that empty tomb saying, come on in now. He's gone. He's gone. I love the fact that the tomb was vacant. There's a song uh, that we've talked about before. If you knew him like I knew him, it's by the group, the Perrys. And Joseph Habedank, who is really from Dayton, Xenia, I believe, uh, he's the song, he writes, wrote a song that said, I walked out, uh, I walked by uh, the tomb of Buddha, looked inside and saw no bones. And when Phil Hoskins was here, he said, let's call Joseph Habedank. And I said, why? He said, because Buddha was cremated. That's bad theology in that song right there. What's it really meaning? I walked by Muhammad, uh, still wrapped up in his grave clothes. Then I journeyed to a garden where Joseph left him lay, but the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. There's a big difference in religion and Christianity. Oftentimes, religion places their faith in a man who was buried, and we celebrate the date of death. Christianity is celebrating he's alive. He's alive. Folks, I went to a church. Listen, I grew up in a church that hardly said amen out loud. Should we not celebrate King Jesus? I mean, don't look at me like a Pentecostal preacher that's crazy when I want to clap my hands. We're going to praise the Lord. One day we're going to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our knees are going to hit the ground, and we're going to recognize what holiness is all about. And I praise him for it. The tomb was vacant. Number three, the resurrection is victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. How important is the resurrection? It's everything to our faith. It's everything to our faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty and our faith is empty. The resurrection is everything. I love the fact that we go to a cemetery and we have hope. You know what Clayton told me before he was baptized back there, Joe and I? He said, my body's going to die one day, but my soul lives forever. In essence, that's what he said, wasn't it, Joe? That's pretty good testimony for a little boy getting ready to be baptized. I, I love it. I love the fact that the resurrection is about victory in Jesus. We don't walk in here with our heads down. We don't, we don't, we don't cringe at, the, at a world that's going nuts. You say, really, Greg, this is not the... Life I grew up in, it's not the life any of us grew up in. A lot of us grew up in a day where you could leave your keys in the car and your house open when you went to bed. I don't advise that in 2022, but I'm telling you, the same God who was on the throne then is the same God who's here right now. You teach your kids what hope looks like in Jesus Christ. You teach your teenagers that there's a God who can help you make better decisions. There's a God who will walk with you even through the darkness of life. And I'll close with this. 
chapter 28. They've come to the tomb. The stone's been rolled back. Verse 3, his countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay, and verse 7, and go quickly and tell his disciples. Number four, God's love story is to be voiced. It's to be heard. When you give your life to Christ, God does not want us just to hold it all in and walk around with all of this knowledge about the gospel. He wants us to live it out for people to see in real life right now. Go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and indeed, he's going before you to Galilee. Listen to me. They would get that. That's exactly what he said. That's what he said prior to the cross. Mark 14, 8, but after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Mark 16, 7, go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. John 21, 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. It's to be voiced. So what does that mean? Come and see, go and tell. How do you tell it? First of all, you live your life in obedience. You're consistent. You're not confusing people around you that you're in one Sunday and out the next. That you're in, listen, one Sunday and Monday looks completely different. You live a life of obedience. You use your mouth to praise him. You share your story to testify to the cross and the risen Savior. You use your hands to serve. You use your feet to go. You use your heart to love. You believe, receive, and repent of your sin and live for Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, folks, God uses you as he writes his love letter to those around you. Now, let me tell you this, and I'm done. God loves you more than anybody in this place. You say, Brother Greg, if you only knew what I've done in my life. We all could say that. But I'm going to cling to the old rugged cross. And I'm going to trust the Lord until my last breath in this world. Jody Manson, her service is Tuesday. What a shock to get that call. She'd been sick, but not that sick. I don't, I don't think people wake up in the morning and say, I, I'm going to die today. I wish to die today. But brothers and sisters, we better be ready. And the greatest gift you can give back to the one who loves you more than anybody, listen to me, is our hearts. I want you to stand with a, with a bowed head. Okay, I'm going to ask you to stand in a spirit of reverence. And I'm, I'm asking you not to look around, see what people are doing. I'm asking you not to get your coat and get ready. It's decision time. 
Tim and Lena are going to be here this morning. If you want to come and pray, you might want to come and pray as a couple. Cody will be here. I'll be here. But here's the invitation. Maybe you're here this Easter, and you're thinking, Brother Greg, I feel like I'm the only one in this place you're talking to. If that's you, that is the Holy Spirit of God, I can promise you. And if you're here today and you're just unsure about your salvation, the greatest gift you can give the one who loves you most is your heart. Just as Kevin did this past week. Is that what you want to do? Is that what you need to do? So right here, right now, if that's you, I want you to pray with me. God, I hear you. I'm a sinner, and I realize I need to be saved. I believe, and I surrender my life to you who died on the cross for me, was buried, and rose from the grave. So, Lord Jesus, I give you my past, my sin, and my heart right now. Right now, in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, and you just, you're just running the wrong way. Hey, the good news is it's not too late to stop. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've given my life to Christ, but I've never followed in believer's baptism. Won't you come today? Maybe God's impressing upon your heart, this is the church you need to call home. So Lord, the invitation is yours. Would you have it? May we be obedient to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing, why do we give an invitation? Not to embarrass anybody. We simply give an invitation to give you an opportunity to respond to what God has done. If you prayed to receive Christ this morning, amen. Heaven is already aware of it. Amen, church? But we're asking you to come. Let us celebrate your decision with you. Whatever decision needs to take place, this is the invitation. This is the time. Don't wait on somebody else to move. You be a leader for Jesus Christ starting this morning. Let's sing together. If you need to come, come on. Sing it out. Lift your voice.
and be seated. Paige, I want you to come stand with me. Mom, Dad, you come. This is Paige Porter. Uh, they've been coming, Greg and Heather, for, I don't know, a couple years now. Off and on, moved over this way. And Paige, uh, how old are you now? 19. And that career in front of her and all of, the, all of those things, uh, just battling some health issues. And uh, some things that uh, just create headaches that just will not go away. And uh, they've come today for prayer. Amen? So uh, I just want us to bow our heads. Marsha's going to play softly. And I, I don't know, maybe I, some of you may have gone through headaches that 
there were no answer for and you felt like quitting and giving up. Uh, some of you ladies, will you come and just gather around Paige? Just go ahead and get up, anybody. Come on, ladies. Amen. Amen. Few of you, few of you praying quietly. Let's sing. Uh, let's sing just as I am again. Okay. Just as I am without one plea. Turn to 134. 
you hear me tell basketball stories all the time. And this is my old teammate, Jimmy Pollard, who was first team All-State, led the state in scoring, but my lifelong friend who told me, we'll try to come Easter. And I just saw you. You were hiding behind Kevin Wells. God bless you. He's setting a good pick. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. This, this is a blessing to my life. And my mom and dad are right here. And uh, let's, let's give number 20 a good welcome, okay? Okay. Uh, we've got a number of guests today. One way you can really help us is your bulletin has a tear out. If you just fill in a few information things for us, and on your way out at the Welcome Center table, you can just drop it there. We have a gift for you, and we'd love for you to take that home with you, okay? Um, we also have two ladies that are going to give our ladies a personal invitation, so uh, go ahead. Hi, everybody, and happy Easter. Um, <laughs> you got to love this hat. Uh, uh, on behalf of the ladies' ministry, Joetta and I would like to invite our ladies of all ages, um, everybody that wants to attend, to our ladies' tea. It's going to be on uh, Saturday, May 14th at noon, and it's going to be in Fellowship Hall just across the way. And so we'd like to invite you to come. We still have a few tables that we need people to um, host those tables, come in, decorate those tables, and invite people to your table. Um, there's sign-up sheets at the elevator on that board there. So if you're interested, please sign up. Um, if you just like to attend, of course, you sign up for that too. We do need to get a count so that we can let um, Wendy know if she's going to cater it for us. It's free of charge. There's no charge to come to this ladies' tea. We just want you to come and enjoy the fellowship. Uh, it's open to ladies of all ages. If you can sit up to the table and use your manners, we want you there. Uh, we are also having a hat contest, in case you wondered. Uh, we would like the ladies and the little girls who attend to make a hat. Uh, make it of anything you want. If you don't want to start from scratch, buy a, a hat at the dollar store, put some flowers on it. Uh, make it from scraps of things at home. Brother Greg thought I made mine from something he scrubbed his back with. <laughs> so, <laughs> so any kind of hat, we just want to have fellowship and fun and have good Christian girls and ladies there to enjoy themselves and all be together. So please sign up by the elevators and uh, do it soon. Love to have you there. And we, um, for this, as our, our ministry part of this um, party, we're going to um, be accepting donations and items for um, Birthright, which is the program in Eaton, which helps um, mothers um, and families to uh, get supplies for their children. We're going to have a representative there to talk about Birthright and um, kind of give you some information about Birthright. So um, we just look forward to seeing you all there. And again, if you have any questions, just see Joetta or I, and we will get those answered for you. Amen. Have a happy Easter. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go ahead and stand. Uh, 
once again, the, the pink slip in your bulletin. If you'd like to register for the kids' ministry meal and meeting next Sunday, make sure you do that. If you've done it online already, you don't have to do that again, okay? Also, Kasia, no well tonight, correct? There'll, there'll be no youth tonight at 6, and uh, I'll make my way to the, the lobby. If we have some guests maybe I've never met, I'd love to say hello to you, and, and thank you for being here, and we are grateful to come together. Amen? Um, well, I feel like we need to, instead of saying amen, benediction, leave, I think we need to sing. Okay, this is a little tune that says, I'm alive in Christ, and he's alive in me. Everybody say that. I am alive in Christ, and he's alive in me. That repeats, and then it has a little hand clapper, okay? Christ and he is alive in me. Ready? I am alive, I am alive, and he is alive in me. I am alive in Christ and he is alive in me. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Easter and praise the Lord, he's alive.